Thank you for listening to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Hey, everybody. This week's guest is Dana Kroll. He is the host of the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye podcast. He's a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. He shares his story of experience, strength, and hope. And towards the end, he shares his recovery nuggets. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Recovery Nuggets. I'm your host, David Clement. I'm here with Dana Crawl. Hey, Dana. Hey, what's going on? Oh, not too much. We've been chit-chatting a bit before the show. And, um, you know, we met through the World Wide Webs, as they say, you know, <laughs> and um, I'm glad you reached out. And it's, it's you know, I'm grateful to have you on and hear your story and hear what you're doing. You know, you you have I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast. And is it is that the actual podcast or is it? Dana it Crawl is. and alcohol. Al- I'm <laughs> sorry. Al- Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. It's yeah. It's this is my. I I know you don't have the video for it, but with me right now, being in next to me and in, in my studio yeah. is Al K. Hallfrey. He's my garden owl that I uh, converted into being my spirit animal for sobriety. I don't know if it's because of the owl and the wisdom thing mm-hmm. or or what, but I think really it's just I thought it was a kind of cheesy pun, but that's the kind of guy I am. So Al K. Hallfree, alcohol free is my buddy. And yeah, we're glad to be here on the show with you. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, so part of your story is that you're very early in sobriety, but you, you entered the podcast world as a way of kind of accountability. So before we get to the podcast and all that, I want to hear your story and how you got here and what it was like and then what you do now. And sure. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio and uh, you know, the son of a uh, Vietnam veteran who worked at a wastewater treatment plant for 26 years when he got home from Vietnam and son of a mom who worked in middle management, neither one of them college graduates, but uh, both of them, you know, worked really hard to send me to a college prep school. Uh, So I was kind of like your, not a token blue collar kid, but I mean, I was a, I actually joke that my dad had a brown collar job. I say he had a shitty job, <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, for that reason, dad would come and pick me up from, from my uh, very well-to-do suburban uh, college prep school and wouldn't want to come in because he smelled bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to school with millionaires kids and they're great folks, but I just have got this story where I've always kind of like been, had one foot in, in both worlds. And so you know, dad and and his dad, who was a World War II veteran, they were both enlisted. Dad was in the Marines. Grandpa was in the Army. And I ended up becoming an Army officer. And so I, I come from enlisted roots. But I, you know, before my dad died of lung cancer when I was 19, he said, hey, if you go into the military, I want you to go in as an officer. And I didn't really understand what that meant until after he had died and after I had become a cadet for a while and then understood what it means to have a commission and to receive and return a salute and the honor that that is. Mm. Uh, to lead soldiers and to be responsible for them. But, uh, you know, I, I just have always kind of like had these great expectations uh, set for me. Uh, Mom and dad always told me, they said, literally said, if you dig ditches, we'll be proud of you. We just want Mm -hmm. you to do what you love. And so I did, but really what got ingrained in me from an early age was go, go, go. And I'm a high energy guy. You can tell already from listening to me, like 
Uh, to me, I'm calm right now, but I know yeah. listening to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm wired up tight, man. This is just yeah. who I am. <laughs> and so like, it was go, go, go perform, exceed, excel. I became your classic overachieving, brown nosing, perfectionistic, people pleasing student council, president, scholar, athlete type of guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's just, so it was great that this college prep school got me a I was able to get a scholarship to go to college and be the first one in my family to do that. Then in ROTC, it was just lather and repeat. It's like, you know, on to becoming the cadet battalion commander and like, oh, you're going to go on and do great things. And, you know, I did a master's degree in four years while I was there on, in an honors program and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I get into the infantry and I went straight to Iraq. Uh, and uh, as an infantry platoon, as a rifle platoon leader, I didn't get there for the invasion, but I got there. Uh, in June of 03. And at the time I was engaged to my wife. And like I mentioned before, my dad had passed a few years before that. And so, um, you know, I will talk about alcohol, by the way, (laughs) I just want to give the background. So to this point, I had had like a, a pretty standard experience with alcohol where tried it in, you know, probably freshman year was the first time, maybe eighth grade sneaking around a beer or two, but then by senior year of high school, it became, well, I'm, I, I wore it like a badge of honor that I drank every weekend this fall, you know, even though, and I was like captain of the golf team and student council president, but still I was out partying with everybody else again, trying to be the goody two shoes, but also trying to be the cool guy trying to be the guy who, you know, gets along with everybody and mm-hmm. um, socializes with uh, it's just, I don't mean to like rabbit trail too much. I just like alcohol continued into uh, college there in ROTC, you know, the army ROTC is not the army, but it, but it is enough when you're a cadet and you haven't served yet. It, it basically becomes a military environment for you. Uh, even though you don't wear the uniform every day, you wear it enough and you see these people, these fellow cadets every day, you party with them mm-hmm. and you sweat with them and you work hard with them. And, and so to that point, I, I, I got to my infantry basic course in the fall of 2002 and we knew that Iraq was on the horizon the next spring. And I knew I was going to go to infantry officer basic course in ranger school. And then I was going to go off and be a rifle platoon leader. Um, and at the time, like the, the luster of alcohol had kind of like worn off. Like I just, I was kind of like over partying and I was dating the woman who is now my wife. I always mm-hmm. said, I wanted to marry a church girl uh, and her maiden name is church. And so <laughs> <laughs> um, I met Addie d- during uh, late in my college years and she was a couple years younger than me. So while she was still finishing up college, uh, we were dating and then engaged while I was in Iraq. And I had some great army chaplains that came alongside me and helped kind of coach mentor and teach me as a young Christian man. I was trying to, I recognized like, well, you know, if I'm saying I'm a Christian and, but I'm not supposed to be running around getting drunk and these kinds of things. Uh, and so they kind of, I had these great folks that came alongside me and really throughout my twenties, I didn't have a lot of desire to drink. Uh, and part of that was when I was 25, uh, I was a junior captain, um, actually right before I became a captain, uh, we were getting ready to go back to Iraq for a second tour, which was a big deal for us as a, a 2002 cohort of officers. Like this hadn't happened since Vietnam where junior officers went back to combat. Uh, mm. So we were all excited to go back. It was like, wow, I've already been in combat as a platoon leader. Now I can go back as a, as a young captain and I can help mentor the lieutenants and I can help. And we were going to go do this really cool mission and embed with an Iraqi battalion and help train them. So it was kind of like a special operations type mission. And so like, I'm excited to go back. Well, right before uh, wheels up about four weeks before uh, we were going to go back, I had a heat stroke on a Monday morning run, which was uh, 
it was just medicinally induced. I had taken some Sudafed the night before for a, a freak head cold. Mm-hmm. And I never get sick and especially not in the summer, but I, I took Sudafed that didn't think anything of it, but ran myself into uh, 107.6 core temp. Wow. Uh, and, you know, could have, could have been seriously injured or died. And they told me later, like, it's a good thing you were in as good a shape as you were, because otherwise you would have been supremely messed up from that. Mm-hmm. So what happened as a result of that was I was left home as what's called a rear detachment commander. And so, um, I stayed home with families and I helped care for casualties and take care of all the equipment and the barracks and things that are left behind. And it actually is harder and worse to be home than it is to be deployed. And I know that may sound strange, but it's a very stigmatized position. Like very few people join the military, especially the infantry and say, Hey, when there's a war on, I'd really like to stay home. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I had a, a group of commanders that were like, we need you there. And I kept pleading once I was physically healed up, I'm like, please deploy me, please let me come over. And they were like, Nope, you're stuck there. And so during this year, our little church off the base uh, was in between pastors and I had preached and taught some Bible studies a few times because we were in a mm-hmm. tradition where you could be a lay person and do that. And uh, when the new pastor arrived, he heard me preach once and he said, you're feeling God call you to ministry, aren't you? And I said, I, yeah, actually I am. And so with the support of my commanders, I became a chaplain candidate, which is a non-deployable uh, you basically go into school for three years. It's not paid for with federal dollars. So I had to pay for it with my GI bill, but basically I went into the national guard for three years and went to seminary um, and sat on the sidelines for several years now. Like I was in Iraq in 2003, but then I wasn't in combat again until 2010. Mm. I made it back just in time to go to Afghanistan. So through all this period, I had not been drinking because uh, too much was at stake. Like I was too bu- Honestly, I was too busy to drink mm-hmm. and you know, when you're a rear detachment commander and your unit is deployed forward, you know, like if I would were to drink in the rear and then get the phone call, like that somebody's dead. Oh, sorry, sir. I can't drive into the unit right now because I've had too much to drink. Like it just wasn't, it almost wasn't even a thought. It was like, I I can't do this. And those phone calls did come. Yeah. Can I stop you there? Um, Please. So there were a couple things you said, I wondered how it affected you, the the being left behind. I mean, did you have some feelings of like, oh, I'm less than because yes. I'm not with the guys? Yes, 100%. That's And, and like, and, what did you, What? how were you able to channel that? Or did it just kind of fester? I think it festered and, and it happened again later in my career, uh, not just during seminary where I was ministering to as a chaplain candidate. Uh, to units that were deploying or had recently deployed, you know, and feeling this guilt, like, oh, I really want to be back in the fight. Um, you know, I, I guess I just kept leaning forward towards the next fight. It's okay. Well, I'm going to make it back eventually. Um, you know, in 2003, when I was in ranger school, like in the winter of 03, we thought we were going to miss the war. We thought because we were going to ranger school that we were going to miss, we were going to miss the war. And, you know, 20 years later, it, it was, it seems laughable, but yeah. Um, you know, I made it to, Af- I made it back to Afghanistan. I think that was so as hard as Afghanistan was, and it was hard. It was a, the surge year of 2010. It felt like a validation. It felt like, okay, yeah, guys are getting blown up left and right. I'm seeing some bad things. I'm with, uh, people who are suffering tremendously, mm-hmm. but this is what I trained for. And this is me kind of like paying my dues and making up for the fact that I sat on the sidelines from 2004 until 2010. So um, I was in this sense of like, I just want to continue to go. And because I was a prior infantry officer, the army was like, oh, hey, you're, you've already been to airborne school and ranger school. Well, then we're going to send you to airborne ranger units. And so when I got home from Afghanistan, 
uh, in 2011, I was I was fast tracked into that pipeline and got to serve, you know, jump out of airplanes all the time and do some really cool stuff, you know, hang on ropes below helicopters, fast rope yeah. out of helicopter, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, that was a lot of fun, but you know, I'm burning the candle at both ends now. And I didn't mention in the middle of all this, you know, we had a couple of kids, one of them, when I was home on mid tour leave from Afghanistan, like he was born right in the middle of my two weeks of, of leave. And, you know, (laughs) I mean, it was like crazy timing. And so, but, but it was, this was the army life that we loved. And I still dream about the army every night. I, I miss it. Like I Mm want to be back in, but like, I'm, I, I, I'm not able to go back in. I mean, I, I probably could, even at age 42, I could probably go into the national guard again, but I, I can't because I'm so burned out. And because I'm so kind of like wrecked from all the experiences that I'm just now able to admit that I'm wrecked from all these experiences of, um, you know, the, the kid that we, uh, killed in Iraq that was caught in the crossfire, the, the chaplain whose unit, who, who died on the battlefield, whose unit I went and ministered to that, you know, that hadn't happened since Vietnam. And here I am in Afghanistan with a unit that I don't know. And, you know, eight hours earlier, a chaplain had, their chaplain had died and there's mm-hmm. his cot with all his stuff on it. And now I'm, I'm in his chapel and I'm in his job uh, wow. for the next few days. So there are experiences like that, that I can just name a couple experiences to you like that. And your yeah. listeners, and you will be like, well, of course you've got PTSD, but the way that the army trains us is, and for, even for me as a caregiver, as a chaplain, it was, really what it was about was let's patch ourselves up. Let's just rest for a tiny little bit if you have to, but you got to get back in the fight. Mm -hmm. And that was my role there was just to coach, mentor, and encourage and get those guys back and get my guys and gals back in the fight Mm -hmm. to accomplish the mission. And to circle back to your original question, for me, it was about like doing my share because I felt like I had gotten over for missing all, you know, cause by that point I had friends that were on their third or fourth deployment and I'm only mm-hmm. on my second and yeah. veterans do all these kind of crazy uh, comparison games, but the alcohol didn't re-enter the picture until um, I had gotten into my second Ranger unit. This is a unit where um, I, I got to the honor and privilege of being the chaplain for third Ranger battalion, which is part of the 75th Ranger regiment. And it's the same unit that was in Black Hawk down, Um, and I got to be deployed to Afghanistan with them for a short trip. And unfortunately they had a a mass casualty event, uh, along the lines of Mogadishu and almost Mm -hmm. on the 20th anniversary of Mogadishu in the same exact unit. I mean, it was rough. It was a rough time, but again, here I am. I'm like, I don't get a chance to rest because I'm with Rangers. I'm with Mm -hmm. these guys. Um, and, and gals, there was, uh, one of the, uh, one of the Rangers on target was, was a female and she died that night. And Hmm. like it, it, I'm there with them. And it was such an honor and privilege that I didn't have time to stop and and say, what is this doing to me uh, Hmm. and take care of myself? It was all about, I was hired to be there because I knew how to do my job. I had proven that I had done my job in Afghanistan once. And so I'm there to help lead them spiritually through these times. And, you know, this is where some guilt enters the picture because I'm getting told what a great job I'm doing, but I'm getting told I'm doing a great job for a memorial service, you know, and I, while that felt good in a, in a professional sense of like, okay, well, I didn't screw that up. And I brought honor to the people that were trying to honor still. It was like, well, for me to get an attaboy, like people had to die, you know, Mm. and it just, there are all these moral things that are going on inside my head at the time that I'm just going faster and faster and faster. Well, here is the point we're in 2013 to 2015 now. 
Um, we also, my wife had had a really horrible third pregnancy mm-hmm. involving a surgery, preeclampsia, mm-hmm. um, delivered our third son nine weeks early. And I was supposed to go back to Afghanistan right when he was born. And I had two guys cover two other chaplains, cover my deployment so that I didn't have to go. And this was the kind of community we were in where they took care of us. But I mean, I stayed home to be with my family and there was all this trauma now in my family. Mm. And we're going through a theological change of heart where, which is a long whole other story. And it ended up, this was the point where I started to have a beer here and there. And then it was a beer or two. And my wife was the one who said, you know, you got to be careful with this Dana, because whenever you get out of the army, we thought that would be, you know, many years from now. Cause I thought I was going to stay until I was at least in my late forties to retire. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it she said, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a drinking problem if you're not careful. And I'm like, ah, it's just a couple beers. Mm. And so what ended up happening was I, because of this theological change of heart, we, uh, we made the decision to become Catholic, uh, which is a very long story. And I know what yeah. sound intriguing to some people, like I don't consider myself Catholic or Christian or anything right now, which is a whole nother story on top of oh, that. Wow. So I won't go, well, I won't go into e- either yeah. one of those because I don't want to like hijack the episode with the theology of it, but just to say what happened was in the midst of all this, uh, crazy drama and trauma. We also, I was having this, uh, theological crisis of conscience, which I now believe was me trying to find a way to, um, get myself off of the bullet train that the army had me on. I was trying to find a way to say, I quit without saying I quit because what happened was I came back to the national guard as an infantry officer. I reverted to being an infantry officer. And on my very first morning, in my national guard unit, we thought, okay, we'll take a couple of years to transition out of active duty. And we'll do what I did in seminary where I go one week in a month and two weeks in the summer, it'll help transition me out and I won't deploy and it'll be fine. And mm-hmm. if there's a deployment, ah, we'll figure it out. We always figure it out. Well, it, it was a disaster. Um, my very first morning in the unit, my command, my battalion commander said to me, Hey, uh, welcome to the unit. When do you want to take command? <laughs> He's talking about Whoa. taking a, a, a company command, right? And that was the thing that I had given up originally to go become a chaplain. Like I had been a lieutenant and then a junior captain, but I had I had just been a rear detachment commander. I hadn't actually commanded a rifle company. So I'm like, wow, this is cool. It's come full circle. Well, 90 days later, I'm I'm a company commander. And then 30 days into my company command, we come down on orders to go on a deployment to the Middle East that was uh more of a security type uh deployment. It wasn't a combat deployment. Uh, we were going to go and secure, you know, military facilities. At, it was more of a military police type role. And, mm-hmm. and so I, by this point, we had had so many changes in our life, so many changes in our family and our theology and where we lived. We went from being living on a military base with uh, in a cul-de-sac with 10 houses and 19 kids, all of whom we knew. We knew all mm-hmm. of their parents uh, to living in a civilian neighborhood, you know, cookie cutter uh, suburban life where our neighbors, the there, <laughs> they came home from work, garage door went up, car went in, garage door went down, never saw him right. and really didn't have anything in common with anybody. So now here's where the drinking really started to increase. Mm-hmm. And I found that, uh, the stress on our marriage and on, on just everything was so great that I actually relinquished that company command that I took. Um, I stood in front of my guys and said, um, you know, as an officer, a ranger and a commander, uh, this feels like treason. I said, I've never seen anybody do this, but I said, but I will not sacrifice my family on the altar of my career because I've seen too many guys do this. And so to this day, I still wrestle with a lot of guilt and shame for having accepted the command in the first place. And then for having relinquished it. I mean, I'm a ranger. Rangers don't quit. Right. But all this to say, like, I was so fast, so fast, so great expectations. Go, 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 go. 
all this guilt, all this guilt. You got to perform. You got to perform. You got to do more than your, you know, the Ranger Creed is I'll shoulder more than my share of the task, whatever it may be, 100% and then some as part of the Ranger Creed. And so mm-hmm. it's always about carrying more than your load. Uh, and I was able to do that until I wasn't. And then, you know, what's happened ever since. So, so then I'm drinking more as a result of feeling guilty about that and ashamed. And then, you know, three to four is becoming five to six every once in a while is becoming, you know, three to four very often. Now the tolerance is built up. So you're like, ah, three to four is the new one to two, whatever. It's mm-hmm. not a big deal. I'm not really drunk. I'm just a little buzz. Like I was with one to two. There's no difference. All these sorts of things that we do as people who get addicted to substances do rationalize and moralize them. So um, what ended up happening was I, I took a civilian job at Lowe's. I was a loss prevention and safety manager. It was a perfect, supposed to be a perfect fit for me, security and like inventory logistics mm-hmm. and like great, perfect fit for me as a former infantry officer. And I was a disaster. Like within 10 weeks, I was promoted to uh, assistant store manager 10 weeks after that, during corporate restructure, I was laterally promoted to the hardest of those assistant store manager positions because they had deleted one of them and they put me in the, the lady who'd been in the company for 20 years. They walked her out because she made too much money and they put me in the into her job with 20 weeks in the company. And of course, I was like, I don't quit. Okay. And I'm feeling all this guilt from the army stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm getting out of the army because I feel like I'm damaged goods. So I'm like working hard and working hard and I'm totally overwhelmed in this middle management job. And I have a store manager who, you know, was one who delegated almost everything. And and I understand why he did that, but it was like, I was being crushed and just trying to keep up that ethos and that persona of I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm the person that always exceeds. And I'm feeling like I have to live up to this ranger expectation in civilian life. And I'm feeling like I have to compensate for the fact that I didn't perform in the national guard. Kind of like I felt that guilt. I never thought about this until now. Kind of like I felt that guilt when I was on the sidelines uh, as a chaplain candidate. Now, like mm-hmm. I'm out and I'm like, I feel like I'm an infantry officer who failed. And so I'm trying, trying, trying. Well, my nickname on the sales floor among the associates at Lowe's was Spaz. And again, <laughs> you're, and rightfully so, you're, again, your listeners hear me. You hear how fast I talk. You, you like, I'm, yeah. <clears throat> I'm at like a 10, probably, it sounds like to you. For me, this is like my, my old baseline. I'm at like yeah. a set. I'm at like a six or seven for me right now, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and this is just who I am. And so I found, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to go on to uh, our church offered us an opportunity for me to run the food pantry for our inner city parish. And I'm like, okay, it'll be a step backwards, but whatever, we'll figure out the money. It'll be a good way for me to just have less responsibility. Now, 90 days in, I was the operations manager. A year later, I was the director. And um, while I was All or there, nothing, baby. It's just, it's how my life has gone. And so- <laughs> You know, now we're into 2018 it. to 2020. Well, how was just, the drinking during the oh food God, pantry? It was worse, just progressively worse. And here I am now a nonprofit director uh, for my church uh, that, I, you know, and the shame of that of like, well, I'm drinking to cope with this. Oh, and by the way, I'm doing grad school full time to try to get a master's in writing because I'd love to have a writing business. I'm trying to create a side hustle that can that I can scale into a business. My current mm-hmm. podcast is literally about my 11th or 12th attempt at something at doing something Mm -hmm. in post-army life where it's like, what is my new role? I don't understand my role in civilian life. Well, in this inner city soup kitchen experience, I'm triggered every single day. My PTSD, my fight or flight is triggered. I'm hypervigilant anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I had a string of like bad country song things that happened. I, on the way into work one day, I, you know, blew a tire 
spun out and crashed and totaled my car, miraculously not hurt. But then a week later, uh, just before the long Thanksgiving weekend and what I thought was going to be a break during my uh, grad school and the semester break, I got sucker punched and had my jaw broken. It was wired wow. shut through the holidays. I mean, it's, it, it just, it's, it, I, I joke that, you know, my initials are, aren't DK for Dana crawl there. They're for drama King. <laughs> like I, I feel like this, this cloud of drama follows me everywhere. And so I, I left, like I finally got that organization turned around, but then COVID hit. And then the church made the decision to close the soup kitchen down because there was a, the building had, it was a hundred year old building. That was the former parish school. And it, it yeah. had all kinds of code violations. And they will shut this thing down. There are these nuns that are coming in to run the ministry anyway. So they let the whole paid staff go. And so here I am now I lost my job and I'm like, I, I'm failing, like I'm failing at life. And I ended up like losing my marbles uh, and ending up in the, in the VA hospital. And um, I, I was drinking probably eight to 10 drinks a day by that point, up to 12. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the summer of 2020 now. So thankfully I had a, um, a veteran friend who was our special duty police officer on my last day at the soup kitchen who intervened and said, are you okay? Because I had concocted this wazoo plan that I was going to leave and I was going to go off the grid. And I had like bought a burner phone and I had $2,000 cash in my pocket. And I like, I mean, I had concocted this plan while I was drunk the night before yeah. drove into work and was like, when I leave clock out on my last day, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to leave. And thankfully my veteran friend intervened and, and got me to, to care. And I got to the VA, but, um, in all this, so, so now I stayed sober from 2021 summer of 2020 to summer of 2021 took unemployment. I had asked for VA disability and gotten that. So we're helping pay the bills. My wife very graciously allowed me to, um, be the homeschool dad. She mm. had been homeschooling for about eight years at that point, And she's a teacher by training. So we swapped roles. She went to work and, but there came a point where like the unemployment ran out and um, I had been day trading and made a killing in the winter of 2021 and then absolutely lost it all. And then some, cause I turned into a gunslinging gambler, the mm. you know, impulsive ADHD guy in me got me. And like a lot of other people who took stimulus, funny money and just, you know, it was like this video game where you're like, Hey, I just made, I just made $200 in two minutes, but you know, I, I managed to lose all of it. And then some, so then I, so then the depression sets in wow. this yeah. unexpected falling out with family that set in and I, and I white knuckled it and stayed sober for a while. But when I went back to work, I was so depressed that I had to go back to work that I had killed the golden goose of this day trading thing that was supposed to be perfect. And my writing business wasn't taking off. And I had failed as a national guard officer. I had failed as an infantry. All these things are going on mm -hmm. in my head. And I ended up, you know, starting drinking again, uh, last summer. And that just very quickly deteriorated to a point where, uh, six months ago, seven months ago. Now I was winter 2022. I had left the house for a few days because things were just so tense. Things never got violent in our home. I was never a threat to uh, others. Mm -hmm. um, in the army, we have this interesting, there's this interesting dynamic where we train our soldiers to move to the sound of the gunfire. Right. Uh, but when it came to the home front, we train our soldiers and ourselves to leave break contact. You don't, you don't want to stay and let things escalate to a point where things get, you know, where things are being thrown or things are, mm -hmm. you know, things could possibly 
anybody could even misconstrue that you did anything uh, improper. And so my thing was always just leave, just leave. And so I got to this point where I like physically left for a few days and I just went on like a bender and I was like driving to work at Amazon drunk and like doing all kinds of things that are completely out of character for me. Yeah. And I had told my therapist, that's what I felt like. I felt like I was out of character, like I, that I had run out of character. I wasn't mm-hmm. just acting out of character. I had like run out of I, my give a shit was gone. And the difference that came for me now that we're probably 30 minutes into this episode. Oh my God. Yeah. If anybody's even still listening to this soap opera. Oh yeah. Like, well, I can, my <laughs> listeners like, are, are still here. I hope so. And and thank you all for bearing with me because sure. the thing that changed that made a difference is um, around the first of this year, new year's resolution kind of thing, I guess I had gotten on and just Googled or looked on my app store. I have an iPhone and I went in the app store and found, you know, just look for sober, sober app, something yeah. like that. And I found this one called Reframe, mm-hmm. and it's only available on um, iOS right now. It's not yes. on Android yet, but it's really scaled, and it's become this amazing community. Um, I think I was one of the last people that got in while it was still kind of like uh, mm-hmm. smaller. It's really metastasized in a good way. Yeah. And so I, I just started listening in. There are these daily Zoom calls where uh, you can go uh, just get on and, and share kind of like a, a 12 step sort of sharing environment. Sure. Um, Reframe takes a different philo- philosophical approach than yeah. uh, a lot of 12 step stuff, but it's still uh, the idea is we get connected in community. The opposite of addiction is connection. So yeah. Had I you quit drinking this- at this point? Uh, no, no. I, I quit for like two weeks in January, but I found an okay. excuse to start again. I mean, it was like, okay. it, it had but this so is bad. like part it's, of the, the underlying you getting sober because yeah. you're looking at sober apps, but you're still drinking, but you're Absolutely. okay. I'm just trying I, I to knew, paint a picture of where you were at. at this yeah, point. yeah. Throughout all of this, as I was working last fall at UPS, and then I moved over to Amazon because I thought, okay, I'm working at UPS. I'm homeschooling the boys. You know, uh, I can do an early morning thing at UPS. I'll work four to 9 a.m. Tuesday through Saturday. Well, it was a union bait and switch and I'm not bashing UPS, but like before I knew it, I was working one to 9 a.m., you know, Monday through Saturday uh, because I was low man on the totem pole. And uh, it, it just, I, I said, okay, and I'm still drinking. I'm like, well, surely that'll keep me from drinking, right? Because I have to be at work. At, no, of course I found, right. I know it, your listeners can't see, you just lean back and laugh. Like David yeah, just leaned yeah. back and laughed like, yeah. oh yeah, right. And so I thought, well. That's I'll identification, to- everyone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I switch over to Amazon and I'm thinking, okay, it's an 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. gig. I'll get home. I'll be tired. It's a very physically demanding job there because it was the XL warehouse where the, the big packages are or the heavy mm-hmm. packages are. I'm like I'll get out all my exercise or all my all my ADHD energy and I'll come home and I'll go to sleep and then I'll wake up and it'll keep me from drinking because I got to show up to work at 11 p.m. Oh, no. I just came home at 4 a.m. and drank myself to sleep until mm. the sun came up and then woke up you know, a little bit hungover uh, to teach my boy, like, you know, some, maybe a headache while I'm teaching my boys school, like, wow, way to go. Father and teacher of the year award. Not exactly the example that you want, you know, to be setting. And my poor wife through all this is just like, you know, doesn't know what to do to help. And I'm, I just had made life very, very difficult for all of us, but I was so depressed. And so like, and I'm doing trauma therapy. I'm trying to do trauma therapy through all this with the VA. I've got a trauma psychologist. I've got a psychiatrist. I had asked for meds and humbled myself, which is a big step a few years ago, but now like there's just so much drama and trauma that just continues that it's like, God, and I had finally just given up on people. 
I had given up on myself and something about this reframe app changed it. I'm not a paid influencer for reframe. Sure. The only thing I'm going to say here is like when I risked connection with other sober people, I, the thing that was missing before was I was trying to do it myself. I was like, well, I'll go to therapy. Well, yeah. I'll do, I, I did IOP after the, the inpatient that I had told you about a couple of years ago, I did IOP via zoom for like eight weeks. And that was really helpful. And that set a good foundation for me for that year that I stayed sober, but I didn't stay connected with any of those people. And I didn't stay. And because of COVID, I had kind of started to drift away from family. Uh, and so I just really was white knuckling it by the end after all those other dramas happened that I told you about. And so the thing that was missing was the people. And um, I'm a natural extrovert and I don't want to make it sound like extroverts are better. I'm just saying like being connected with people energizes me. And mm -hmm. I found myself becoming not an introvert. I found myself becoming like this misanthropic, like I don't want to be like, and not antisocial in like a sociopath kind of way, but like a person who does just does not want to be around people anymore. And like, that's not who I am. Right. So here I am drinking in the winter of 2022 and I'm in this this rock bottom, I'm at a cheap hotel room and, you know, having a, a, like a fling with my mistress, the army used to be my mistress. And now, you know, Budweiser was my mistress mm -hmm. and Budweiser and bourbon were my mistress now. And I just realized like, this is ludicrous. There was a, a lady named Vonda who had been sharing on these meetings where I would dial in and my camera's off and I've got like a, a pseudonym for my handle. I'm just in there as, you know, what iPhone, I don't remember what I put, yeah. maybe I put Dana because nobody knew who I was, but I was not sharing. I was just listening. And I heard this lady named Vonda share on multiple occasions. And she's about 20 years older than me, but she just is like this, such an inspirational spunky kind of like really cool lady. And she was so kind to herself. She was newly sober and she had a slip, um, you know, reframe terminology is a, a, not a relapse, but it, you can have a slip like, like where, okay, I didn't say fuck it and started drinking, uh, you know, wholesale again. It's like, I had a moment of weakness. I drank and now I'm going to get back on the, get back on up in the saddle. Right. So okay. Wanda had this slip and she said, you know what? She's like, God damn it. I worked hard for those two weeks. I'm not, I'm not resetting my clock. I'm still at 15 days. And the way she was so kind to herself really inspired me. And I reached out to her through the app and just thanked her for it. And she said, Hey, you're welcome. Why don't you let me connect you with this group of people on this text group? And I got in this group with like several ladies who are like my big sisters. And <laughs> so like, I text my sober sisters now when I need something. There you go. And one of them texted today saying, she was like, I just want to get hammered right now. And she's, you know, got a couple other days, I think yeah. sobriety too. And we all just like rally around each other. It's like, no, 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 play the tape forward. You know, what's going to happen. That's so right. I've got this community now. And so Vonda was what I call the spark that I needed to stop the madness. She's my first guest on my own podcast, season one, it. episode one. And she has been just kind of like the big sister that has looked out for me and um, who I've been able to reach out to on the side, even, even aside from the, the group of several ladies that are, you know, times where Vonda's checked on me just as a big sister and said like, Hey man, like what's really going on with you and, and hang in there. And, yeah. you know, for some of your listeners, it might sound strange that, you know, I'm texting with other women that aren't my wife, but it, it doesn't really matter that they're women or men. It only matters that they're sober. Like that's the thing that right. that's connected connection. people like you mm -hmm. instant connection right. with somebody like you. I just met you yeah. and I feel like I already know you and you're my oh, yeah. brother. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, that's all good stuff. I mean, you know, whatever it is now it's working for you. So that's great. Mm -hmm. It is. Now, would and you say that yeah, sorry, this, this last time 
what do you remember like what the day before the last drink was like i mean be, the day of the last drink like what where yeah. were you at and then how'd you transition to that's it i'm done i think i i think i left the house kind of knowing that this was it it's like i was giving myself a, a last like three or four day bender. I don't know. I don't know what I had in my head. Honestly, when I left, I just, my wife and I weren't able to communicate and I just went into that default mode of like, I'm just going to break contact. I'm just going to go away and I'm going to wallow and I'm going to ruminate and I'm going to feel sorry for myself. But really it was just an excuse to go drink. Mm. And so the last day, I think what had happened was, and my wife and I have a, a relationship that people might think is strange too, where we actually communicate better when we're apart. <laughs> like we actually right. communicate better via text when we're apart, because when we were in the army, like I came and went all the time. And now that I'm here all the time, mm-hmm. it's so much different. Like the army gave us little breaks and that just sure. kind of got hardwired into our relationship. So like, here I am, I go away for 72 hours. And even though I'm drinking, like we're starting to communicate better. And then I realized like, okay, because of the app, and because I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one last go. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this. And I felt some encouragement because of people like Vonda and the, the ladies that she had connected me with. And, um, so the last day I think it was like, well, screw it. I'll give myself one more night, uh, because I had it and I'm like, waste not one, not I'll just drink whatever I've got left, which is stupid. Too. Right. But you know, I, I mean, that was kind of like where I was at. Yeah. Well, um, so now that you're, you know, sober and you're doing all this and you're, you've started a podcast, you know, what, what does your recovery look like now? Well, I think the podcast was again, the extrovert in me just kind of came roaring back and about 30 days into, uh, my sobriety, I was listening to a Joe Rogan episode with Snoop Dogg. And I don't usually listen to Joe Rogan, but I was doing the dishes and I was like, I want to listen to something like, so I was like, Snoop Dogg, hell yeah, this this will be cool. (laughs) And so within three minutes in that episode, Snoop's rolling a blunt and they're like starting to smoke up. And so I'm kind of chuckling. Well, at Mm -hmm. the 30th minute, Snoop goes, Joe, Joe, can I get drunk on you? You got some alcohol, Joe, can I get drunk on your show? And Joe's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And they start drinking. I was totally triggered because what I wanted to do was Mm -hmm. sit down and have a drink with Joe and Snoop, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Snoop with all these like Corona, he's like, man, I got a Corona. And he's like, he's like dancing Mm -hmm. on the beach and he's all cool. And I was like, I was thinking, why is there not a podcast for you know, sober people, if I would have just Googled it, I would have seen that there are like recovery nuggets and like dozens of sober podcasts, which are all phenomenal. But I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this as a way to hold myself accountable. It's it's at least 51% about me. And as we were talking before, uh, before you started the show, like that's important for me in recovery too, because I never put myself first. Um, I, I always was trying to take care of everyone else and to meet everyone else's expectations. And in the process, I I never really discovered who I am for myself. Who yeah. am I to me before anybody else, including my wife? And I was expecting her to love and encourage me in a way that I didn't even do for myself. So how can I, mm. you know, it, I was, it, it was unfair. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to start this podcast. It'll, it'll keep me accountable to a community. And so I was kind of like upping the ante on myself, right? Not that everybody who <laughs> wants yeah. to get sober has to do something as public and, you know, right extroverted explosion like I did where it's like, Hey world, here's my whole life story. And Mm -hmm. you know, you got to get sober. But for me, it's been daily uh, meetings on the reframe app, uh, staying connected with uh, those ladies that I told you about starting an Instagram was a big one. I, 
I hate social media and I've left it so many times. I'm like, mm-hmm. but then I would get sucked back in because of my job that I would have to do it. And so then yeah. all of my other non-job friends would find me again. And I, before I knew it, I'd have like four or 500 friends. I'm like totally overwhelmed by it, but starting that Instagram and I started it uh, anonymously. I just called it, I kissed off all goodbye and put my name. I was still kind of in the shame mode or whatever, mm-hmm. or who's going to hear this. What if my army friend, old army friends hear this or whatever, um, you know, with my chaplain friends here, this of like, oh, I knew it. I knew Dana would end up being like this or yeah. whatever, all these things that run through your head. But, um, starting that Instagram was a big step, uh, and just getting connected with other people and even just scrolling, just scrolling and seeing the positivity of this out there. I've seen mm-hmm. so very little negativity there. And when I have seen it, it gets crushed by mm-hmm. so much positivity that people swoop in when someone comes yeah. in and you know, there's a lady that I follow who I'm dedicating a triathlon to this weekend. I'm doing a very, very short triathlon. It's oh, not, cool. It, like, this was something I set on my goal list for like six months out yes. to do something like that to work towards. And anyway, I follow her and she um, is very overweight and has been for a long time. And she, but she's worked her way back down. And she said she was going to do 22 hard things in 2022. And oh, I like that. She, yeah, she's an amazing lady. Um, her name is Katie Zorns, Z-O-R-N-E-S. If anybody wants to look her up, she's phenomenal. Um, her Instagram handle is trying to live, but it's like T-R-I underscore T-O uh, live or something like that. Okay. And anyway, so I, I uh, oh God, what was my point with the triathlon? Oh crap, the ADHD kicks in. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, you were just talking about things that you do and you do for your recovery now. Yeah, and- yeah. So it was like, I'm going to get connected with people like this who inspire me. And so somebody had gone on and like tried to like fat shame her. And it was like, oh, yeah. like oh, people no. were like, yeah. there's no place for that here. And they were like, it just, right. was, it's been amazing to see that there's this community of thousands and thousands of people that you don't even have to connect with thousands of people or hundreds of people. Or Just even need a few good ones. Yeah. You find a handful of people that you connect with. And I'm telling yeah. you, the distance of Instagram almost helps. I feel like I'm able to open up with a lot of these people in ways that I couldn't with people that I'm super close to sure. in other sure. areas of my life. There are people that I can share things with that that I would have a hard time sharing with my wife. And that sounds terrible, but it's because we're, we're too close. Like we're too close to it. And there's too many emotions wrapped up in it. I have to have people that are just one step removed who understand what the hell I'm going through, who can then kind of like coach me and, you know, encourage me in that. So these are some of the basic things that I've been doing, you know, for the last seven months to stay sober, but the, the podcast was a big one. It was like, I'm just going all in on this thing. And if I, that means if I, fall off the bandwagon, then I have to basically announce to the world, Hey, I, you know, I, I stopped, I stopped trying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that said, I mean, we're just about out of time. You want to share some recovery nuggets for everyone, Uh, you know, especially since you're new in sobriety. I mean, these, these would be great. Yeah. I I actually um, pinned a post on my Instagram shameless plug. It's called six for six. It was my uh, the six keys to my sober success in my first six months. And yeah, uh, they were to, uh, the first key was to consult, to find a trusted doctor, mm-hmm. a psych provider and, or a sober coach. I probably all three would be great. Yeah. Um, that's in- essential. I think to get some professionals in your corner. The second key is to connect with other people. Like I talked about on Instagram is a great place to start. Um, or if say you want to do a 12 step program, getting connected with someone in person or on a daily zoom type meeting. Uh, the third key is to sit with it. This is the one that I've 
struggle to do because you're just going to have to learn how to sit in these emotions, right? And I know David, you're celebrating a lot of years sober, but you still, but but that came because you learned uh, to sit with emotions without drinking over them. Yeah, and it's hard to learn to let your emotions and your cravings just come and go. But when you learn to just sit in it for a while and put some space between the craving and the instant relief of that alcohol, damn alcohol works so fast. That's the problem. Is it like it works works. right away. Right. right? And so, (laughs) right. But of course it creates all these other things that make it 10 times worse, but it gives you that instant relief. So when you find that you can let that discomfort sit and sit in it for a while, create some space, really most cravings scientifically from what I've learned is that uh, most cravings last 20 minutes or less. 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah. And so Sitting in it is a key one to get to the fourth key for me, which is to grieve. I've had to grieve the loss of alcohol as a relationship. Again, I kissed alcohol goodbye. Like I, I kissed a lover goodbye. I said yeah. I broke up with this person. It's it's yeah. it is a personified presence in my life for a lot of years. And yeah. that is something that has to be grieved. And I've also had to grieve the loss of, of a lot more human relationships than I expected. And it wasn't because I got sober per se. But me getting sober has changed the way that I treat myself and the way that I kind of like have handled things mm-hmm. and kind of stood up for myself. And it's just created a lot of distance between me and people that I didn't think I would ever have distance with. Yeah. Uh, so grieving is a key. Uh, a fifth key is to serve, getting the focus off yourself and uh, pointing outward. As a recent guest of mine said, um, uh, Kim Bellis, she started Sober is the New Cool. Oh Great. yeah. I've seen her. Yeah. Uh, oh God. Kim's wonderful. And that's actually the episode that I just released uh, recently before the recording that we're doing yeah. here. And she cool. um, season two, episode 15. And she says, you will never ever regret serving somebody else. And you'll, she said, it never fails to help. You will always, always, always feel better when you help someone else. It never fails. Uh, so my last key, uh, the six for six was to try to enjoy like, and some people might disagree with me on this, but I think that you, uh, I've allowed myself a transfer addiction and my transfer addiction has been energy drinks, which you would think <laughs> pretty common. Is, is, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But for somebody is as crazy as I am, you would think, why would he drink caffeine? Well, the ADHD brain, actually caffeine kind of focuses me and actually yeah. calms me down. I actually feel yeah. calmer when I drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. That's but, crazy, I right? Myself, yeah. I don't get caution, it. Da- Dana's got a, a poster in his office. that says, caution. Dana has coffee. Yeah. There's <laughs> it's behind me. I, you're, yeah. you're, I forgot your viewers won't see that. Yeah. It's a, yeah. just a big caution sign. Dana has coffee with exclamation points because yeah. that's yeah. just kind of like who I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this has been great, man. I really appreciate your uh, six for six, and I will put all your links in the show notes and uh, you know check them out, listen to his podcast, and um, you know we we should stay in touch and keep yes. keep it going, man. Well, and I invite your listeners to come over and listen when I'm going to have you on the show as well. And I can't wait to yeah. interview you and let you get a word in edgewise. And I can actually hear your story instead of oh, yeah. rambling for 45 yeah. minutes straight, man. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to everyone I, for listening. Well, well, hey, I look forward to it. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Get in touch with the show via Instagram at Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Also, the email is recoverynuggetspodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Recovery Nuggets Podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I'm not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experience, strength, and hope. 
Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest. Thank you.